I have a friend. Let's call her Martha. She has a boyfriend now, but back then she had a penchant for... You know, she was like with a fair amount of guys on a regular basis, um, including a bunch of athletes, especially athletes on the crew team, um, the heavyweight crew team, who tend to be, you know, like this really tall, sort of muscular, kind of like angular face, like Adonis's. Um, like the first week of September, like the first or second week of classes, you know, I was kind of was and am like a kind of a nerdy, dorky kid, and I hadn't gotten up to any kind of like crazy adventures, romantic or otherwise, um, this early in college. But she had. Um, and we were having brunch, and we were sitting there at the long table, and she was telling me about these two guys who she had, the, I think the first two guys she'd been with at Yale, but she was, she, she was sort of, you know, judging them, because they're, you know, both like very good-looking guys, um, but not, not too much going on up here. I'm tapping my head, if you can't tell. It's a podcast. So she was saying, you know, one of them is at least, a, like, a little smart. I can kind of have a conversation with him. Um, but the other, the other was, really, was really not someone uh, she, she could even really discuss anything with. Um, and she, she did not have a high opinion of him, intellectually or otherwise. And then she was like, oh, they're right there. Just call them Brent and... David, or something like that. And David was this enormous, like, British man. Um, and he was he was the one who she kind of uh, really looked down upon um, a fair amount. Um, and he was like a British noble. He had a signet ring and everything. Um, and so he rolled up to the table, and he sat down, and he said, Hey, Martha. Um, and we sort of started chatting. Um, I'm kind of smirking the whole time and giving sidelong glances to my friend um, because I, I know about their romantic history or I had just learned. Um, and I said, oh, you know, wh- what language are you taking? Are you taking a language? He said, you know, um, I'm taking Indonesian. And I, I kind of screwed up my face and I was like, really, that's interesting. And he said, oh, yeah, it's, it's just no work at all. It's meant to be fantastic. Um, and that was the moment when I first learned about... Um, Indonesian at Yale and the, the sort of bizarre athlete cult of this incredibly easy language, seemingly. Um, and after that, he sort of walked off and my friend said, you know, yeah, he's dumb as a doornail and Indonesian's going to be great for him. That's my friend Jack. The other night while we were hanging out, I asked him if he remembered the first time someone mentioned Indonesian to him at Yale. And that story was how he replied. Now, what's crazy is that his impression of Indo as a bizarre athlete cult isn't all that uncommon. Here, the joke is that instead of rocks for jocks, we've got entry-level Indonesian. But I've always wondered, how true could that be really? I don't know anything about Indonesian, or for that matter, about being an athlete, varsity or otherwise, but I really want to believe that there's more to Yale's Indonesian program than people think there is. On this episode of Undergraduate Admissions, Eve Snyder studies up on Indonesian at Yale, a tiny department with a big reputation. Why is it tiny? Because there's only two professors. Why does it have a big reputation? Because a lot of athletes take it, and it's very, very easy. Or at least that's what people believe. But if there's one thing that Eve's good at, it's believing things that other people don't believe. She'll be crunching numbers and getting chatty with several varsity sports teams to figure out if, how, and why it got so popular, and whether it's really as easy as everyone thinks it is, and what the story is with all those athletes anyway. I hope we learned some really cool trash talk. This is episode three, 
going up through Indo. Okay, so first, you're going to need a little background info. Remember how Jack asked David what language he was taking? He asked because here at Yale, everyone takes a language. See, we have to take a certain number of courses in different disciplines in order to graduate, and language study is one of them. Here's how the course catalog puts it. The study of languages has long been one of the distinctive and defining features of a liberal arts education. And, in the world of the 21st century, knowledge of more than one language is increasingly important. The benefits of language study enhance understanding of how languages work, often resulting in heightened sophistication in the use of one's own language, and the ability to recognize cross-cultural barriers. All Yale College students are required to engage in study of a foreign language. Now, on paper, these requirements result in heightened sophistication, but in practice, they're just another hoop to jump through in order to graduate. And while they're a pain to fulfill no matter the subject area, getting your language done can be particularly tough, especially because intro levels, L1 and L2, as we call them, meet five days a week. Which brings us to Indonesian, the myth, the legend, and supposedly the easiest way to breeze through your language requirement without breaking a sweat. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. How popular could Indonesian possibly be? I thought the same. But just out of curiosity, I started by taking a look at Yale's course demand statistics. Here's what I learned. In the spring of 2012, 41 students enrolled in Indonesian classes of any level. Two years later, in the spring of 2014, there were 48 students enrolled in elementary L2 Indo alone. And last fall, in 2016, the department had a whopping 106 students. Now they're down to a modest 86 for the spring 2017 semester, but let's put that in perspective. I also learned that there are 72 students taking Russian, 92 taking Italian, and a wee 39 enrolled in Portuguese. And get this, there are more students at Yale learning Indonesian than there are learning ancient Greek and Latin combined. That has got to be some kind of record. I had to find out more. So I talked to Leah Rice, a junior who's done so much Indonesian at Yale, there are no classes left for her to take. I'm a mechanical engineering major um, and basically just got into Indonesian because I wanted to find a new language that I thought after a short period of time I could go somewhere with and just like see a really cool part of the world. I took it for two semesters went to Indonesia for two months and like by the end of those two months was like able to hold like a pretty good conversation I'd say with almost anyone I met and then I've taken it every semester since except for this semester because I last semester did an independent study and then there's like no more classes right now. I think if you look into Indonesian at Yale at all you'll kind of just get the same two names which is Pot Indrio and then Budini colloquially just known as like Pot and Boo. He teaches elementary Indonesian um and that's like a really big group of people um, and he always has one TA who comes in with the, the foreign language teaching assistant um, Fulbright and then Boo teaches L3, L4, L5, L6. I wanted to get a sense of how the language sounds so I asked if she could give me an example of something you'd learn to say early on. The classic like saying when your practice is in Indonesian like latihan saya uh, 
jam tika is like that's also an example of how easy Indonesian is because that's saying my practice is at 3 p.m. But you don't even there's no prepositions in there of like when you don't say like is at you're just saying my practice me three. Hold on. What do you mean the classic saying when practices? There's definitely like exercises we did where you'd talk about like going to practice or like meeting with a coach. So everyone knows the word for coach really well. Um, things like that. Because you also have to like describe in Indonesian when you're late to class that <laughs> your coach held you late or something like that. Um, and I play club soccer. So I would kind of just like fill it in with my like club sport stuff and be like, we had practice today from this time, but um, not really on like the same level or anything. What Leah's getting at is that there are two types of people who take Indonesian here. Athletes and everyone else. Sure, she's got the department all figured out, but to really get a sense of things, I knew I had to hear from someone on a varsity team. So I went to talk to Trey Phils, a basketball player, about how he landed in Indonesian. Okay, um, Saya Trey Phils, Barasal Dari, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh... Mahasiswa di Universitas Yale, Tingal di Asrama Ezra Styles. I'm Trey Phils from Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and I stay in Ezra Styles' dorm. Saya main bola basket. I play basketball. This is my second semester. Um, I'm in L2 Indonesian. Word of mouth is huge. Um, I feel like a lot of the upperclassmen that I've come in contact with. Honestly, a lot of them happen to be athletes also, but a lot of people just recommended the class and said that the professor is really cool and the language is interesting, so I uh, just listen to them. Are there a lot of other people on the basketball team who are in Indonesian with you? Yeah, so in my class, I have one teammate. In L4, there's three to four of us on the basketball team, and then a lot of other people who've graduated before me took the class as well. It's really a pack mentality. I feel like if one of us drops out, then that changes the experience and it'll affect other people's decisions. Student athletes are just people we're in contact a lot of the times with, whether it's the dining hall or the gym. So I feel like those classes are really concentrated in the people you just see in your daily activities or you have similar spheres of people. So it's definitely it definitely adds to the class because you heard of or know people that are already taking it. Sometimes it even comes out when we're like on the court, like we'll be running up and down like Satulagi, like just one more time, like pass the ball one more time. So it definitely comes out in certain times and we joke about it all the time. There's one other thing I should add about the language requirement at Yale. Generally, to complete it, you're required to take three semesters of the same language. When I asked Trey how long he plans to continue with Indonesian past these first three levels, he was earnest but noncommittal, said he enjoys Indo but doesn't know whether he'll really keep it up. This is pretty typical of a lot of Yale students. The goal for many is to do your time, hopefully enjoy it, maybe learn a little, and then get out. But remember, Trey also said that he has three or four teammates in L4. In other words, guys who've chosen to stick with it even after they're required to. And the more I heard, the more it seemed like the Indonesian department retains a pretty substantial number of students past that initial requirement. Take Ian Richards, a senior economics major on the fencing team, who took Indonesian all through his first three years at Yale. My name is Ian. Uh, I'm on the fencing team at Yale University. I'm a senior in Soman College. I took Indonesian for 
my first six semesters at Yale, though I did not take it this year. So when you started taking Indonesian, did you think you were just going to like get the language requirement done and get out? Definitely. Because um, I really do not, I, I truly, truly am not a foreign languages guy. I thought I was going to get the three and bounce, but I mean, I liked it. I, really, I liked the teachers. I mean, I liked the people I was taking the classes with. Ian found out about Indonesian through one of the guys who lived above him his freshman year, a basketball player. But he has a theory about how many other athletes end up in the class. <laughs> so, so for me personally, I was recruited to Yale for fencing. When, you, when you're recruited to Yale for a sport, you're spending like 30 hours a week, a week minimum with these people, right? I mean, just between practice and team dinner and like lifts in the morning and other stuff and just like, I mean, and um, when you're spending that much time with people, especially when you, when you come in as a freshman, there's like a very large influence they have on you. So I think that it gets passed down between the teams. Which teams, you ask? Well, both Ian and Leah from earlier had a pretty clear idea. There are some teams that you see and there like really aren't that many people in Indonesia. And there are other ones like there were like a bunch of squash guys. There were a bunch of squash guys in my L1 and L2, a bunch of hockey guys, good amount of football guys. There were a couple guys from the hockey team in my L5, L6, and then definitely a couple, couple football guys maybe. Um, basketball, both men and women. There are a good amount of basketball players, but more women than men. I think there were a couple people on squash. I think, yeah, like three people from squash, something like that. I've never seen a lacrosse guy in Indonesia. In like a 15-person section, sometimes I might be the only non-athlete. And like usually there would be like a couple people from each team who seem to be like taking Indonesian together. Later on, Leah offers an expression for this. She calls it going up through Indo. And everyone I spoke to cited this herd mentality and word of mouth within teams as the driving force behind the growth of the Indonesian program. Think about it. From the moment freshman athletes arrive on campus, they've got a team of upperclassmen armed and ready to show them the ropes. Which parties to go to, which dining halls to avoid, which classes to take. Sitting in on an L2 class was all the confirmation I needed that the athlete part of the stereotype was true. 20 students crammed around a seminar table at 10 in the morning, and exactly one of them wasn't wearing athletic gear. So clearly there are a lot of athletes taking Indonesian, and clearly it's a class and language that appeals to people who say they're not language people. But that said, I still really wanted to believe that there was more to the class than the rumor mill would have you think. Maybe I'm too committed to unearthing a tidy Hollywood ending or punchy moral, I don't know. Either way, I still felt like I needed to know more. So I contacted Boudini. I'm Dini Rizri Alatiani, and I came here at Yale maybe four years ago, 2013. I'm from Indonesia, so I was born in Salatiga, Central Java, Indonesia. Bujini explained that Indonesian has actually had a home at Yale for a long time, since the 1950s, and that these days their department has a pretty robust presence both within and beyond Yale. The first Indonesian instructor at Yale, around 50, they have a support at the donors for the Southeast Asia and they start Indonesian studies. Now we are the largest in terms of the enrollment in the U.S. Why do you think that Indonesian is so popular at Yale? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, many people will answer differently, but if I talk to the student, why would you motivate it to learn? Well, we we have a big, strong community of uh, athlete students and non-athlete students. So um, the student that we work with very uh, probably they have a strong community in their own and. Um, when they are taking Indonesian languages and this, uh, they are interested and they seem to be happy with uh, the teaching style and the, and the relevance of the materials and class and they love to learn culture and they spread the word probably with their friends. We find that our program is very supportive to them because that's our one of the populations of our students. Okay. I want you to take a second to think about how Dini answered that. I didn't even have to mention varsity sports for her to cite them as one of the main populations of her students, which I guess makes sense. After all, with a strong athlete community as a mainstay of Indo, they've become the largest department in terms of enrollment in the United States. So how did they do it? Learning language means bringing their culture into the table of the classroom. So yeah, we connect the vocab, the teaching style, and the storytelling. Uh, let's say, like you mentioned, some student maybe they have to know how to tell a story about their, let's say, daily practice or, or stories about when they go away for game. So words around that topic so would be like game, like coach, rehearsing, or like going to the gym, or any small detail descriptive of that, they'll be able to know all the words. Clearly, she and Pac know their customers and tailor the curriculum accordingly. These days, even non-athletes like sophomore Zachary Kreiser come in knowing exactly what to expect. I'm Zachary Kreiser. I'm a sophomore at Yale, and I uh, am in L2 Indonesian. You know, I'd heard that the Indonesian department wasn't super work-intensive, and so since I'm not really a language guy, I went with that. And has it lived up to your expectations? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, wa- I walk into the first day class, and uh, this was last semester, and Pac and Drio uh, just, you know, asked if, you know, if any of us play sports, and then I was the only one who didn't raise my hand, which I thought was really funny. He was pretty frank about why he thinks enrollment in the class is so high. Uh, it's a very easy language to learn. There's no articles, there's no conjugation, there's no tenses, there's no plural. Uh, if you translate it into English directly, it sounds like caveman speak. I mean, there's not really another way around it, is that it's an easier class. There are plenty of classes at Yale that are popular because they're easy, and I just think that Indonesian is one of them. Do you think there are other reasons why it's popular? Uh, I'm going to say no. There's no other reason. But then he offered an explanation I wasn't expecting. I mean, it's one of 14 Indonesian departments in the country, uh, which is very cool, and I think that's also one of the reasons that uh, it's an easier course, because... Uh, you know, the kind of a backdrop to the Indonesian department is that it's their mission to not let study of the Indonesian language in America die out. Uh, and since there are only 14 of them, you know, teaching it, and it's not a language where if you just taught it and it was as rigorous as, you know, Spanish or French, which they're, they're pretty tough at Yale, I think, uh, that a lot of people would want to take it because it's, you know, when are you going to use Indonesian, really? I mean, not that many people go to Indonesia. I mean, it's it's an important country. It's got the largest Muslim population in the world, but... I think that your average person at, at school is never really going to need to use it that much. The, the fact is that if we didn't make it easy and attract 
the numbers that we did, that the, the department would probably die out here as well, and that would just be one less college teaching it. And Pakandrio, who's a professor, is just like, he, he's a great professor, and he's definitely taught me Indonesian very well, but he's also just a goofball, and he loves to mess around and teach things, you know, about the culture of Indonesia. I mean, he's, he's just very passionate about Indonesia as a whole, I think. And I think that if we don't come out of class, you know, being fluent in Indonesian, he doesn't care that much, but he wants us to understand the country and the culture of Indonesia. He's always bringing in different fruits that come from Indonesia that we've never heard of before. One that just smells absolutely terrible, but tastes delicious if you eat it. And so he like comes and breaks it open. We're like, what is that? Uh, he's taken the rinds of fruits before and made them into hats and worn them for the entire class. So it's just, it's, it's always a fun time. Everyone I spoke to had a heartwarming story about the Indonesian professors. Either Pak had done something silly, or Boo had done something sweet, or one or the other had been incredibly kind and attentive. Their students really seemed to love them. For instance, when I asked Trey if he had any good Pak Indrio stories, here's what he had to say. <laughs> I don't want to throw my man Pak under the bus. Um, let's see. I mean... Just honestly, I really love their enthusiasm. Like every morning, they're smiling, like happy to be there. Puggy, puggy, puggy. That means like good morning. So they'll just repeat that like a bunch of times. And you're just, even if I'm not in the mood to show up to class, just going there and seeing Pakinjiro just smile or even seeing him off campus, that's the best. Honestly, okay, so I do have a story, a Pakinjiro story. He got his bike stolen um, last semester, I think. And he was just so hurt over it, so distraught. And I just saw him, and I felt so bad. But honestly, like, the next, like, couple of weeks, he just jokes about it in class, and it's kind of a running joke. I just love the, the people that teach it. They really, they really bring a lot of enjoyment to the class. Remember Ian, the varsity fencer? When he had Denny as a professor, her support extended far beyond the classroom. Like, Denny came to watch me fence, you know? Like, I, I've never had a teacher sit there and be like, you know what, I want to come watch fence him, like, okay. But like, she, like, came, I was like, wow, that's... A lot. Like, like, well, well, thanks, Boo. They, I think they try and like connect with their students on a more personal level than a lot of people do because I think that I think a large part of Indonesian is like understanding the uh, Indonesian mind state and like how they want to communicate. So I think the main reason why they're teaching Indonesian, apart from like uh, trying to trying to help out Yale students and doing all that is trying to like build a base of very smart people who care about Indonesia. Cause when you look at the history of Indonesia, it's, it's kind of always getting like kicked. Like Indonesia is kind of always like at the bottom of the pile in a lot of different ways, highest rate of deforestation, highest rate of corruption. And it, it always seems like no one really cares because I, no one really cares. I mean, <laughs> no, like I, I, that sounds messed up, but like truly on an international stage, like, not that many people who are movers and shakers care about Indonesia. And I think for a country that's like the sixth most populous in the world with like some of the best natural resource reserves in the world with um, a pretty strategic position in Southeast Asia, it always feels like there's not enough of like an international spotlight. Like there was literally a genocide in there in the 80s and 90s. I think I've never met someone who knows about it. I doubt anyone listening to this knew that there was like a genocide in East Timor, you know, they're on a larger platform as a nation, I think they feel like it might be more beneficial to their country. And I think it's a, probably a solid way to do that is by having like like 30 Yale kids that grad, who graduate every year like have some type of connection in Indonesia. I think that's one of the reasons why they do it. There are very few people, I think, who care about Indonesia, which is surprising for a nation that's so large relative to the rest of the world, you know? Hearing Ian talk like this, 
It's wild to think that he arrived at Indonesian by way of a friend because he was looking to take an easy language. And you know what else he told me? Apparently, the Indonesian department at Yale isn't just the largest in America. It's the second largest in the world outside of Indonesia, save for one program in the Netherlands. So maybe Ian's philosophizing is largely wishful thinking, and most Indo students just care about getting a passing grade. But maybe not. It could well be that he's right that Pak and Boo teach an enduring appreciation for the country in addition to the language. And either way, it makes a pretty crazy story that all of those athletes and others who chose to go up through Indo because they'd heard it was easy are actually elevating the department to such heights. You may or may not recall that last year, in 2016, Yale's basketball team made it to March Madness. They didn't last long, but they made it. And everyone's hopeful they'll be back there again soon. And if that happens, and you happen to be tuning in, I want you to listen closely. Maybe, above the din of the crowd and the chatty announcers, you'll catch someone talking to his teammate in Indonesian. Wouldn't that be something? Undergraduate Admissions was produced in English 471 at Yale University. Special thanks to our professor, Mark Oppenheimer, and our audio gurus, Brian Paws and Phoebe Petrovic. To hear more episodes, check us out at uapodcast.com. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email at theuapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Ampun jumat